Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Kappa Press. My name is Akshya Chandramoli and I am your host for today's episode. On the show today we have Chris Hughes who is a content strategist who is also building the Leapfrog Collective. So we are going to be talking a lot about content strategy for small scrappy teams as well as for well established larger teams. So over to you Chris. Before we begin, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do, who you are and how you got started? Yeah, for sure. So my career in digital media, uh, publishing, content marketing spans a little over a decade. Uh, back in 2010, I started out my own sports blogs and really started as a sports writer, uh, self-taught SEO and content strategy and WordPress and kind of everything in that world, uh, freelancer management and uh, built out my own sports blogs and ran those for two years, which were acquired by another network. Uh, here in the U.S. and California, and I worked for them in a consulting capacity for two years, and then worked for a digital publisher here in Austin called Wide Open Media Group for about four years, running their publishing operation, mm-hmm. and um, helped grow that network to the point where they were acquired by Publishers Clearinghouse here in the U.S. recently in a pretty large acquisition. So went through that process of building and uh, having properties acquired and learned a lot uh, from that and had the opportunity to work in the SaaS Uh, world for a little bit with projectmanager.com, which is a project management software company. Uh, Their competitors are companies like Asana and Smartsheet and Trello. They're in that world and help them uh, work on their content marketing for about 18 months. And most recently decided to break out on my own and start my own consulting company in the content strategy sphere. And uh, I'm also kicking off a a community for emerging professionals and college students called the Leapfrog Collective, which is going to be focused on personal branding um, and really taking content uh, under your wing as a way to help separate yourself from your peers and get an opportunity to really grab uh, good internships and those first initial jobs out of of college, which are so important for your career development. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, that's a brilliant initiative, Chris, and I would like to commend you on that. And I wish you the very best as well with the same. Thank you. Begin with uh, Chris. Let's start with by breaking a myth, right? So a lot of people think having a content calendar equals having a content strategy. So I think that's one myth <laughs> break, and uh, I will leave it to you, Chris. How would you describe content strategy for a beginner? Yeah, I think those are two different things, right? Your content calendar is just how you execute on your content strategy. It's not necessarily a strategy in and of itself. So. Strategy lands in three different planes in my mind. You've either got a company that's fledgling and is just getting started. They've never really done any content before. Uh, They know that it's important for their marketing mix, but they haven't dug in and and created any content previously. You've got a company that's semi-mature, that's created some content and they have a little bit of momentum, but they don't really know where to go next with it and what the next steps are they should take to help it really become a big uh, engine for them. And then there are mature companies that may have had a full-fledged content strategy that isn't working in the way that they thought it would. Um, Maybe they're driving a lot of traffic, but the lead generation is not very strong. So in that case, sometimes they need to reshape their strategy and rethink what they're doing um, to improve and make it better. So ultimately, it lands in three places. And yeah, content calendar is an element of that, but it's more that the strategy needs to be built out, reflecting the maturity of your company and where that company is in its life cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got that. So if you have to take me through the steps on how you devise a content strategy, 
what would your answer be, Chris? How do you begin? How do you know where to start? And how do you know when you're done with the content strategy? Yeah, sure. I like to think of it in 120 day blocks. Uh, so, you know, everything that I do with my clients, really regardless of size, is based on that 120 day mindset. Uh, so, essentially, first part of it is research. Uh, I do a research project and dig in and do a really deep dive on competitive analysis and content gap analysis and keyword analysis to see okay, these are the competitors in the landscape. These are the keywords that they're chasing. What do they have that's ranking for that? Uh, is it an older article that maybe hasn't been updated in a while and is just ranking because it's older and there's an opportunity there to capitalize on that keyword? So kind of what's the low hanging fruit that you can approach? Um, how are they approaching their content strategy as a whole? Is it all written? Are they doing podcasting? Are they doing video? Is that working for them? Is it not? Like where do the, where's the opportunity there in terms of what your competition's doing. And then looking at the gaps, what are they publishing and, and what topics in, you know, kind of your world are they approaching, but where are the opportunities that they're leaving on the table that you can approach and that you can go after. So always that research up front and present that research to a potential client because I want to make sure in that first 30 days that we know exactly what the opportunities are and can dig in onto those opportunities and take advantage of those to get a quick start and build momentum that'll continue to carry through for the rest of, of that first four months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got that. So do you think it will vary for smaller teams and well-established teams or does your process remain the same? It's, it's different. As I think with a smaller team and like a scrappy team who may not have, who may have like one full-time content creator or maybe they're thinking about bringing somebody on board um, or they're working with a group of freelancers that they trust for them it's a matter of bandwidth and really what their focus is and what their priorities are in terms of how much they can create in a week um you know what's realistic <laughs> you know is it one blog post is it two blog posts is it a blog post plus some social posts plus trying to land some guest posts you got to be realistic with a smaller team about the breadth of what they're responsible for and the breadth of what they're working on versus a larger, larger organization who may have two, three full-time content creators. You know, they have like a VP of marketing. Their bandwidth is very different and what they can carry and what they can produce in a week is very different. So in, you talked about content calendar and planning out that content calendar that comes into play is how many hands are touching this and how many people are working on it. Um, that really helps to think through that strategy of, of how much should we be shooting to create every week? And you want it to be manageable, right? Like you don't want to set the goal so high and have it be such a stretch of what you're trying to produce that you're rushing on the end and the content suffers for it. So you want to make sure there's a good balance there of, of what you create and, and uh, to protect quality too, really. Right. Fair enough. That sounds about right. And since you also mentioned freelancers, so let's say a small team starts working with a bunch of freelancers. And as they expand, when do you think is the right time for them to know that it's time to bring on a full-time person, right? That it's no longer working. Yeah. So, so when do you decide to bring in a full-time person? Yeah, that's a tough decision, uh, especially if you're a solopreneur and you're working with freelancers to help you create content and you are kind of hesitating really to hire anybody full-time because you'd much rather just run it for yourself uh, and have that one person business. I think it ultimately comes down to when you see that the content that those freelancers are creating for you is doing well and doing well consistently, um, but you really want to take it to the next level and you don't they don't have the bandwidth to do that. Or maybe 
you're spending more in acquiring content from freelancers than you necessarily would if you just brought somebody on full time and you had them there to work with directly. So I think when that becomes a crunch point, when you're having to do a whole lot of work with freelancers and, and really having to manage those freelancers actively versus having somebody in, in house that's working for you, you know, as a part-time employee or, or as a full-time employee, it's thinking about that balance. And when do I make the shift? Uh, that's a tough decision because you bring on a part-time person or a full-time person, you're making a much bigger commitment there financially uh, to that person in, in terms of the work that they produce, um, you know, that they can provide for you versus just working with freelancers who you trust and that you know, and that um, can work for you consistently, but they're not necessarily a full-time employee. It's a different relationship. So mm -hmm. it's a hard decision, but it's one that I think everybody faces that digs into content and makes it a big part of, of their marketing mix. Mm -hmm. Right, right, got that. So uh, from your observation, Chris, what do you think is the most common reason for people to fail when it comes to content strategy? A couple of things. I think uh, lack of patience is mm -hmm. one and kind of a desire for it to be like instant gratification and produce immediately quick results. It's just not the way content strategy works. Uh, second, I think is writing content for what you think your customers want, but not what they actually need. I think the difference between want and need is very different. So there's nothing more important than digging into like persona development and figuring out, okay, this is exactly what this person wants. This is what they want. What problem am I solving for them? What's their biggest pain point? The majority of content should be written around those pain points because ultimately if you're just writing about, here's how great our product is, here's why it's better than all our competitors. If you're not solving pain points you know, for your potential customers, big, big possibility that it's gonna fall flat because you're just writing what you think is important for them rather than really what they want and what they're looking for. And that's to make their lives easier and to solve a problem. Going back to instant gratification, uh, if you're going to dig into content strategy, you've got to be willing to commit to the long term because the reality, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> of getting anything ranked in Google is it's not a quick play. Uh, it's going to take months and months of really hard grinding work. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for instant gratification, content strategy is not the right mix. I like to say I'm a technician, not a magician. Like I can't help you make magic happen. I can help you, you know, on the technical side to, to work through it and, and get the longer term results. And it's very important if you're working with somebody that they're in that same mindset, because if not, that disconnect can just lead to failure, essentially. Mm -hmm. I love how you put it, right? Like I'm a technician, not a magician. I mean, I think I'm going to use it everywhere from this point forward. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I do agree with you there, Chris. Um, so let's also talk about uh, the non-experts, right? the non-content strategies, the people, the outlanders who observe things from the outside. So what is one thing that they strongly believe, but you know for sure is not right, that it's a myth? Yeah, uh, you hear a lot about the importance of social media in the early part of, of content strategy. And there is this spray and pray notion of I need to post everything everywhere, right? Like I need to get a Facebook account, need to have a Twitter account, need to have an Instagram account, a TikTok account, a LinkedIn account, and everything that I create, I need to publish on all these mediums uh, every day, as many times as possible. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk, everybody knows who he is, popularized this and it works for him because he has a staff of 20 people that repurpose 
every piece of content that he creates and they put it on 80 mediums a day or whatever, you know, fine, it works for him. But I'm more of the mindset, you need to find one social medium that fits for where your audience exists in that 120 days and dig into that instead. For me, it's LinkedIn. I spend the majority of my time on LinkedIn because you know it's a professional platform. It's built for that. You need to find what fits for you. You know, if you're writing for a target uh, customer that's in their you know 50 year old male, TikTok's probably not the right place, right? So you want to find one social medium and dig into that for that first 120 days, and then once you start to see after that stretch of time who your persona really is, who your customer really is then you reshape your mindset about social media and you build on the platforms where those people are. If you do that in reverse, you just go and you start publishing everywhere. You're just yelling down an empty hallway, essentially. You're not getting the attention that you want. It's, it's a wasted effort that you could be spending on content creation rather than trying to make social work for you without there being an audience there for to consume the content. So I, I really fight against that, that notion of like, spending all this time on social media early in a content strategy because it just, it doesn't make sense to me mindset-wise. Yeah, I mean, that, that's valid enough. And I think that's also something that people who are new to content strategy fail to understand, right? So is there anything you would like to tell people who are just getting started with content strategy? Yeah, I think analysis paralysis is a, a very big problem with content, right? Um, you dig in, you think, I don't want to write the wrong thing. I don't want to publish the wrong thing. How's this going to be taken? Are people going to think, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's imposter syndrome. Ultimately, you just have to get out there and get stuff up. You just have to publish. You just have to get started and you'll get better as you go. I think of it like dedicating 30 minutes a day. And that's whether you're the creator and you're the one actually creating the content and executing on it. Or if you're delegating and you're delegating that workout to somebody else, if you can set aside 30 minutes a day, five days a week, the snowball effect starts to happen. It's compounding returns. So you've got to set aside enough time for yourself where you can get productive work done, but you can be consistent and you can win at it. Ultimately, if you started out saying, I'm going to spend an hour a day riding every day, well, you're probably not, <laughs> especially as a solopreneur, because they wear so many hats and they're so busy. Everybody can dedicate 30 minutes a day, you just put a timer on and, and you write stream of consciousness before you know it, you've got a thousand word articles. So I like to break it down to simple. Let's, let's win that 30 minutes a day in terms of, of content creation or send some emails and check in on your freelancers that you delegated work out to. But if you can do that and you do it consistently over that four months or six months, and the compounding returns builds and, and things really start to grow under their own weight because you've got that foundation built. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that, although since we touched upon uh, social platforms, finding the right audience and catering to that one, uh, let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn, Chris. Yeah. Uh, 2020, and we are seeing a lot of brands leveraging employees' individual brands, right, rather than going for corporate brands. So how do you think brands can actually do that? How can they encourage their employees to become the custodians of their brands, right? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to be watching that this year with companies like Gravy and Clary and Zyrotalk. There's some you know, companies that have really built their backbone and their, their impression and their presence off of LinkedIn, but not by posting as a brand, but by getting their employees to buy in and post in the voice of the brand. So it's a weird kind of effect that happens as employees are building their personal brands. They're also building the brand 
of the company because the, the employees are speaking through authority of what the company does without saying, I'm hard selling you on a product. It's instead, here's the solutions we provide. Here's why it's been impactful for my life as an employee. And if you see this over and over again from all the employees, you start to think, well, they're really thinking as, as a team. They're thinking as one. So this must be a pretty good company. So naturally, you're going to go check out the company and see what the company is doing because employees are showing you that they've bought in, that they bought into the mindset, they bought in to the corporate culture. And then you want to check out the company to see what they're doing. So, you know, the individual's personal brands are leveraging the growth of the company. And then the company's growth is leveraged by the growth of the individual personal brand. So it's that kind of symbiotic relationship, which is been fascinating to watch and companies are spending more and more resources on it <clears throat> actually seeing now that there's like corporate training for that that didn't exist a year ago like pre-covid it's a brand new little weird net that's popping up so it's been interesting to watch mm -hmm. what are other interesting trends that you've witnessed change post-covid chris i think just a dedication to content um field marketing for example field marketing as big as it had become over the course of the last few years i mean it essentially doesn't exist now right like mm -hmm. this field marketers are taking their events all online everybody's shifting kind of the, the turn back to webinars has gotten pretty big especially on platforms like linkedin live and you know Streamyard is pretty fantastic where you can stream to multiple platforms at once so field marketers are going back and reshaping their mindset and their content to be based around those types of events so little subsets of the marketing world are not dying but they're struggling because there's not that in-person interaction anymore and so naturally they have no choice but to turn back online and, and turn to, to content creation of that type and then i think there's just more time on people's hands now to, to think about how blogging could enter in or podcasting could enter in so it might be something they've had back burnered for a long time they thought yeah you know i need to do that at some point they just weren't able to get started with it because of all their other responsibilities. But now because of the virus, they've had the time open up and, uh, you know, it's just been that shift to, I'm not going to put this off any longer. I'm going to give it a shot because I need it for my business growth because I don't have that in-person factor right now. And it, it's just changing what people can do. Mm -hmm. And it may, it may shift back, obviously. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> uh, it could just be a trend, but you know, who knows. Right, right. Got that. I think we are moving towards the close of this episode, Chris. So I think I'm just going to give you two more questions before we wrap up this episode. Sure, sure. So what do you think success looks like after, say, 30 days, after 60 days, or after even 120 days, like you've mentioned, right? What does success look like when a successful content strategy is implemented? The first 30 days, I think, is just is claiming your brand and the trust in your brand. So I always, if a company hasn't done anything at all, the first thing they should do is write about their story. You know, who, who are we? What do we believe in? Uh, who would we like to work with? Here's what we stand for. Here are our corporate values. So the first 30 days of just establishing your brand and getting a, a couple pieces of content out there that are central to, you know, what you do and what your product's about, what your service is about, and really establishing that foothold just getting started, getting momentum built and, and figuring out that one social medium that you want to focus on and dig into that. The next 60 days, I think guest blogging and authority building are really important. So I actually tell people to hit the brakes on posting content on their own blog, 
after 30 days and focus the next 60 days on guest blog acquisition, you know, with good domain authority uh, websites to get links rolling back in because if you're publishing content with no authority, there's no audience, right? You don't have a chance to compete. You're not going to rank in Google. So that 60 day stretch is going out and acquiring guest blogs, writing as many of those as you can, getting those links back. And the success there is, okay, we're building some traffic. We're building an audience. We're building authority. So after 90 days, you're going to start to see some traffic rolling in. You're going to see who your audience is in reality. You might have thought that they were this person, but in reality, they're this person. So your strategy has to change. And then you get to that day 120, you start to hybridize the strategy where you're writing on your blog. You're doing guest blogs. Maybe you're exploring podcasting. You know which social mediums you should be using now because you know your audience. And then going forward from day 120, you have a much clearer picture of uh, what your strategy should look like based on what's gone well for you and what hasn't and who your audience is. And, you know, I think success from that day 120 forward is just constant kind of compounding growth where you're growing a little bit at a time, month over month as time goes on. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I mean, I love the breakdown. Thank you so much for that, Chris. So sure. With that, coming to the final question. So what are five tools that you cannot live without, that you use on a regular day-to-day -day basis and that you yeah. rely on? That's a fantastic question. Um, I love Descript. Uh, Descript is a really simple video editing tool that's free. It's fantastic. Um, I found it through a video intensive that I participated in here in Austin, and they suggested it. It's the easiest video editor I've ever used. I mean, it, it makes using Premiere or something like that really unnecessary because everything you can do in Descript, you can do for free. So I would highly recommend it if you're going to be producing video consistently. I use Woodpecker for email outreach. <clears throat> and really what I like about Woodpecker is you can set up timed email sequences uh, where you send an email and if someone opens it, the next email auto triggers in three days based on them opening it or not opening it. So you can set up these different types of sequences. Their tracking is, is great and like the deliverability is fantastic. So for email outreach, we'd recommend Woodpecker. I use Notion on a daily basis. Uh, for note taking and just kind of pulling together <laughs> all the different things I'm working on and keeping them together in one place. Obviously, Grammarly is a no-brainer uh, if you're a writer. Um, it's the way to check yourself. And I think when you use Grammarly on a, on a daily basis, you, you become a better writer because you start to catch your habits and you self-correct as you're writing, uh, which I think is great. So those four uh, for sure are, you know, a big core of, of what I do. And, you know, I actually use Trello uh, in kind of for simple project management, uh, drag and drop boards. I'm really visual. So I like the Kanban boards and I'm not to the point where I'm using like a full-fledged CRM yet to, for customer management. So I just use Trello to, to visualize that. And so I'd really recommend those five, but the one I've come across that I like the most recently is Descript. I mean, it's awesome. You can edit a video in 30 minutes and publish it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll give a very big thumbs up for Descript as well, because we use Descript a lot internally. <laughs> so yes, I do agree with that with you there. Yeah, Thanks, uh, Chris. <laughs> All right. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Sure. A couple of places. Uh, ChrisHughes.com. So K-R-I-S-H-U-G-H-E-S.com is my website. 
Uh, I'm on LinkedIn the most in terms of social media uh, slash Chris Hughes. And my email is just chris at chrishughes.com. So yeah, I work with solopreneurs, small business owners, help them to lower acquisition costs and build trust in their brands and win back some simplicity through that long-term compounding effect of content and then kicking off the Leapfrog Collective uh, in 2021. I'll be posting a lot more about that on LinkedIn in, in the coming months and, and building that out as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. It was amazing talking to you. I had a lot of fun and I hope you had a good time with that. Yeah, thanks. Enjoyed it.